If you take the mathematical madness from the number 23, add in the brutal deaths of Final Destination, and then sprinkle in some cryptid conspiracies from the Mothman prophecies, you get tonight's feature film, Knowing. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! Interesting choice of words. What is that? What is that? What is that? Oh, no, not the bee! Not the bee! Oh, my God. I'm a pixie pear! <laughs> okay, let's run. This is the unbearable fate of massive talent. I'm Brittany Green. And I'm Liz Kurtzman. And, uh, yeah, we watched Knowing. We sure did. From 2009. Yeah. Uh, I had seen the second half of this film before. You hadn't seen it at all. No, I don't think I had. But there's so much of this movie that feels like so many other movies. Yes. Once I was like, have I seen? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was. And then you we were and like I, pulling little tidbits out from other Nicolas Cage movies that we've seen. Absolutely. We just kept like name dropping other things we'd seen. And I, I think I, yeah, I was like, this has got number 23 energy. Then later on, I was like. Is this the Mothman prophecies? Uh, and then you know there was just so many things. Hangs out drinking in his attic, just like in uh, Grand Isle. Yep. Has a present from his dead wife, just like Pig. He teaches. Uh, he, we start off with him being a professor of a class that we never see again, just like in Pay the Ghost. Exactly. Is that- so like yeah, that's Pay the Ghost. Yeah, Pay the Ghost. Yep. Uh, and also has a little son that disappears sometimes, like Pay the Ghost. Like Pay the Ghost. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it felt, I don't know, in, in some ways this movie is just like bananas, um, because it goes in really strange places, but then in other ways it just sort of feels like, yeah, a lot of other things that we've watched put together. It's just like a mishmash of tropes thrown together into one movie with an overarching story. Yeah. Um, we also (laughs) spent the whole movie trying to think of, we kept confusing this with other Nicolas Cage movies that we haven't watched yet. (laughs) Um... Which we're gonna do. Which now we're gonna yeah, do them now all. We're gonna do. But it was when we started looking them up, we were like, "Oh, this is not the only movie in which he, you know, predicts the future." Or this is not the only movie he does that has like biblical, you know, stuff prophecy in it. Um, so yeah, it was sort of a, a weird, um, weird movie to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were your What are your, your impressions? Uh it's long. It's That's, long. It's <laughs> so long. I feel very medium towards it. Yes. I I don't love it. I will say I um like felt like this may be one of the first movies we've watched that I felt like Nick Cage was kind of phoning it in. Yeah, you think so? I don't know. He just like it, it never felt like any like ma- he did fine. Like he did fine, but it felt like anyone else could have played this role. Yeah. And he never has any like major Nick Cage moments. No, he's pretty normal. Even when his character is doing what is like objectively like like, kind of crazy action stuff of like just being a dude who just runs towards danger all the time. Running in this film, there's a lot of running for no reason. Yeah, Um, this is also I realized this has got to be one of the first movies he did after he lost all of his money. Oh, could be because 2008 is when the stock market crashed. Right. And he started taking up all these films. And I'm like, maybe he just has no energy because he's, like, dealing with a lot of shit. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it hit that quick for him. Um, but maybe. It's, it's like, right around the dip point, for mm-hmm. sure, uh, where he just starts making 
10 million movies a year. Yeah. Um, well, now we know from the 60-minute interview, which we'll talk about later, um, he says straight up in that that he started doing all these films after he lost $6 million from real estate in 2008. So I was like, yeah, we, so we have a date. This could be, like, one of the first ones. Yeah. But it also... There's something about it that's, like, such a grand scale, and it looks like it was probably expensive to make in 2009 that I'm like... Yeah. You know, maybe this isn't a movie that you just do... Um, I don't. Th- I, I don't think he just did this yeah. one to get money. I'm just like theorizing that that might be why it feels like he is sort of phoning it in. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't. Place. It certainly wasn't my favorite performance of his. No, it was like, like it was absolutely adequate. Yeah. Um, not anything to write home about. Felt kind of like, like you said, anybody could have done it. Yeah. Yep. So this is a movie that has two opening credits, which is always <laughs> a good sign. You always know that's going to be a quality film. Uh, but our first one takes us to 1959, where we see these. The school is bearing a time capsule, and we see like a creepy little girl writing numbers that she puts in the time capsule. This is Lucinda Ambry, which is <laughs> someone online said this, and I don't know if this was on purpose, but they're like. Lucinda Embry is an anagram of badly numeric. And I said, I gotta hope that that's not what they were doing. I kept thinking <laughs> it sounded like she was, like, Cinder Ember. Yeah, I mean, Lucinda actually means light. Yeah. So I think maybe that is probably what they're going for because of, like, the big twist at the end, right? It felt a little heavy-handed. It's for very heavy-handed, but... Lucinda Embry. At least then it's not badly numeric. Badly numeric. <laughs> like, if you're going to do an anagram, wouldn't you just do, like, bad numbers? I feel like that like... was definitely an accident that it's an anagram. Uh, yeah. Definitely someone on Reddit that was like, um, if you switch all the numbers around, it's badly numeric. And everyone's like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Uh, God, she was giving me, like, Shining Twins vibe. It was creepy. Like She's the, very creepy. The, the 1950s part with her in it was, yeah. like, kind of creepy. There's a few parts of this movie that I thought were actually kind of creepy. They, I mean, the deaths that we see in it, they show them. They show the deaths. They show the deaths in a way that feels like a little uh, Final Destination. Like yeah. Like you said, it was, like, for an action sci-fi kind of thing, like this is, like, showing that much deep like not just showing the you know something you know a plane crashing into the ground but then showing you the people All like the people like coming out of the fire plane, and fire stuff. walking around yeah they loved showing things on fire in this film yeah fire is their favorite um but yeah she then we like oh here's a fun little tidbit um the school is William Dawes Elementary and William Dawes was one of the writers who uh with Paul Revere warn the Minutemen that the British troops were coming. Um, and so it's supposed to be like the little girl is warning people, trying to warn people about what's coming. Oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> when you, why, why wouldn't you just do Paul Revere Elementary? <laughs> I don't know. They had to have it be like a super secret Easter egg, I guess. Yeah. For people who are history buffs. Yeah. Uh, another tidbit about this film, Liam Hemsworth. It's his first film. And I didn't even notice him. I didn't notice him either. He's Where the was kid that catches the ball in the classroom that talks about the sun. Oh. I didn't even... 
didn't even notice it. I didn't yeah. notice him at all. I was just like, I can't believe that kid knew all that those facts about the sun. <laughs> and I didn't even like note him. And then I was looking at the the stuff about this movie and they were like, Liam Hemsworth's first film and I said Crazy. What, what was that? Now um, I wanna go watch that scene again. Yeah, we should watch it again. He's <laughs> like, I I did see the still from it and I was like, Oh, he got a real baby face. Yeah. He got a little baby face. Must just not have recognized him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Nick Cage is a, a physicist uh, in this film. He studies... Like astrophysics, I think. Yeah, he's an astrophysicist. Uh, studies planets and stuff. He's a and professor. The sun, obviously. The son. Um, he is the uh, son of a pastor. Yep. Doesn't get along with his dad because he doesn't believe in religion. Or God. Or God. I kind of think that maybe he did a little bit, or he at least, like, would entertain it until his wife died. Yeah. I think that's probably true. And then he lost all faith in everything when his wife died. Yeah. Yeah, that's the central tension at the beginning, is the wife died a, a couple years ago, a few years ago, it seems yeah. like. Um, the kid didn't look that much different, so I think it yeah. was still relatively recent. Yeah, and so the, the obviously, um, he's not over it, his child's not over it, um, they're trying to get along, and then, um, He's he doesn't believe in heaven, which Caleb the son is upset about, um, because he you know wants to believe that's where his mom is, um, and that's kind of where we're at at the beginning before anything happens. It's just sort of the status quo. Uh, we get another great one of my favorite things is in a movie when you have a lesson being taught by a teacher at the oh, beginning, yeah. and the, the the lesson will be relevant to whatever the story is and so the lesson he's teaching at the beginning is about determinism and like whether uh the you know human beings were created um because the environment is just perfect for us and so was it designed for us or was the environment perfect and that's why we evolved um and so you know he's weighing the sort of pros and cons of that um yeah, so it's like, oh, I wonder if that'll be important at all. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Caleb has a hearing aid. He speaks with his dad sometimes in sign language. And he's not deaf, but he has... Um, some kind of hearing some disorder. Some sort of, like, yeah, hearing like processing disorder or something. Um, I thought the ASL would be more important in the film. Yeah. I thought, um, and I guess we got a little bit of this, but I thought that the hearing aid was going to have something to do with him being able to hear the whispers. Yeah. But then, like, Abby, the other girl, could hear him, too, so it didn't actually seem like it was that important. If anything, it seemed like it was keeping him from hearing it properly. Right. Because he kept, like, squealing. Yeah. Um, And there was, like, a nice thing at the end with the sign language, but I, I don't know. It just felt like they were planting that as being important at the beginning, and then, like, which is, like, I'm glad that they have disabled character and that it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, the divining characteristic or anything. But it was very much dropped in a way that felt like a Chekhov's hammer kind of thing. And yeah. then it just didn't really come around. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And so, uh, oh, yeah. And then when he's at school, we meet his co-worker, Phil, mm-hmm. who's the worst. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just... Okay, so with the first... Just immediately a creep off the bat, because he's trying to set Nicolas Cage up with 
uh, like a hot friend. His sister in law. His sister in law, that's right. Yeah. I wrote down everything he says in that first conversation because it was so wild. He was mad at Nick Cage for for repeatedly flaking on him to go take care of his boy, like his child, that he's now a single father. And he definitely is like, oh, you're always leaving me because your son needs you. And it's like, yeah, man, that's That's what what it is. is. And then he calls this woman that he's trying to set Nick Cage up with PH double D's. And we find out that's his sister-in-law. And I was like, what is, what? And then... Uh, he, he is like, obviously, this is not the first time he's trying to, like, get Nick Cage to hook up with some woman, even though his wife seems to be pretty recently dead, and he's not ready to move on. Just get over it, buddy. He's just like, come on, come out, get laid. And I'm like, this guy sucks. I don't like Phil. No. (laughs) Um, and he doesn't, I mean, he's really there to just have things explained to him. You know, he's like the stand-in for the audience. Yeah, because he comes back in only like two other times in the movie, and it's at various like points where Nicolas Cage has a revelation yes. and then needs to tell someone. Needs about to tell it. someone about it, and it's him. Um, and he's kind of also the audience in that he's like, "Man, you're crazy." <laughs> that's crazy, and we agree. And yeah. then, um, and then Nick I Cage guess right. that it's something, but <laughs> I guess not. Uh, uh, so, yeah, then he has to run off to uh, his son's school where they are digging up the uh, time capsule because uh, it's been 50 years. And so they have a terrible system um, of opening the time capsule. They invite the teacher from 50 years ago. Right. Who's very, very old now. And she opens it. It's very nice. Cut a ribbon. And then they just open it and are just handing children letters and the children are, like, mobbing them. <laughs> these kids are way too excited about some dusty old letters, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. And then also I was like, those are 50-year-old letters. I feel like you guys should, not I don't know. give them to the jelly-fingered like, children. <laughs> We're going to, like, lose them or rip them or, or something. Or take them home, like what happened. Yeah, and then uh, so Caleb ends up with Lucinda's letter and takes it home. And uh, it's just covered in numbers. Um, and so he's like, oh, I got a numbers one. Whatever. Well, it's a math. What if it's a math puzzle? Yeah. Um, and then, uh. It kind of is a math puzzle. It kind of is a math puzzle, which Nick Cage sets out to solve on accident. Drunkenly and on accident. Yeah. What would you, like, I feel like probably if I saw 9-11-2001 in a thing, that would be like, Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I don't know if it would cause me to continue to look for more tragedies the way that it did. Yeah, I don't... This movie felt so 2000s. Yeah. It was very 2000s. It was very 2000s. Um, yeah, he... Because there's, like, a lot of terrorist stuff. There was a lot... Yes, that thing is especially felt very, like, oh, yeah, uh, to me. Um, yeah, it was like he... I don't know, he wrote the string of numbers that was, like, inside the spill that he made on the letter on the board, first of all. Why? Um, but he does it and then notices that 9, 11, two, 2000, not even 2001, right? It was just 01. Yeah, I don't know what the formatting of the dates I don't was. think they were even, because if, if I saw the years, full years, I think then I would be like, oh, 1984, 1984, 1985, 19, I would be like, right. oh, these are dates. But I'm pretty sure it was just, like, the last two digits. So it was just 01. 
And unless you, like, knew how many people died in 9-11, because that's the next number, right? Some um, people might. Some people might. And if he did, then maybe it would be like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I know it was, like, a thousand people or something like 2000 that. Two thousand-some people. Two thousand-some? Um, which... And I feel like if I was an adult when it happened, that I might have a stronger memory of Sure, that. yeah. And he lives near, near New York City. Yeah. So he could have recognized that number, too. Um... But now I'm thinking about it. Do you think that the number for 9-11 was, like, all the deaths of all of the car, the plane wrecks? Or were those different... It feels like there should be yeah, different... Yeah, because there was, like, three things that happened on 9-11. Yeah. Including the Twin Towers. There was the uh, plane crash outside of uh, Pennsylvania here. Yeah. Outside of Pennsylvania. Outside of Pittsburgh here. Yeah. And then um, the Pentagon. Uh, Pentagon. Yeah. And so are sh- is she combining tragedies? Because if so, it feels like it's going to be harder I, to find the numbers for... Listen, I have a whole list of questions about the numbers. Me too. <laughs> and I'm glad we're getting into it because I feel like it's really the crux of the movie. Yes. And why I don't think it's that good. <laughs> right. Because the number... So these are... So the, the numbers end up being all of the tragedies that I guess from like 1959... I, th- I guess that's the start. They don't say it, yeah. but I'm assuming it's the start until 2009, October 19th. And it, it the format is the date, and it is like the six-digit date. And the number of deaths. The number of deaths. And then we end up finding out that there's this other number we can't figure out. It's latitude and longitude of where it takes place. Yeah. So for 9-11, again, that would have to be... It would have to have multiple locations. Or it she's has just to be three numbers. Out. Yeah. And like... You know, it's obviously not a comprehensive list because, like, for 50 years, I'm sorry, but there's going to be way more tragedies than covers the front and back of a piece of paper. Yes, especially because some of these, I mean, we see a tragedy that is 81 deaths, which, like, isn't that many? how many school shootings have happened this year? Yeah. How many uh, plane crashes have happened, you know? Like, that's not just, like... A couple <laughs> since 1959. And it feels like it's being treated as though it's comprehensive, especially since it's leading up until the end of the world. Yeah. But it's only the front and back of a piece of paper. And every single occurrence, because of how many numbers there are, the date, like, that's going to be, like, a good quarter of the line. Yeah. And does that least. include, like, wars? Right. Is that include, like, bombings? bombings in the wars, yeah. Because that feels like... It's going like... all the way through 2009. There was a lot of big bombings and stuff that happened. Yeah. And we saw stuff from other countries, so it's not just the U.S., even though most of the ones we saw were the U.S. Um, and then you were talking about, like, probably if you Google any individual day, you can find something that happened on that day? Yes. Yeah. So I was saying that, like, my brother and I would uh, mess with each other by, like, we had, like, a big, like, Life magazine book that was, like, the 20th century, and it had, like, all the dates and told you the major news stories that happened on those days. And so, of course, we would look through and, like, find the worst things that happened on each other's birthdays (laughs) and be like, you are a child of tragedy. Hilarious. Um, Which was pretty funny because my brother's birthday, or April 14th, is cursed it's so many bad things have happened that's when lincoln got shot that's when the titanic hit the iceberg um it was a lot of stuff so i had more ammunition for this fight but um yeah you can find a tragedy on like any day like that's like the problem with numerology is that um it's 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 apophenia which is like finding patterns and things right and well and we know that every number 
adds up to 23. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I kept thinking. I was just like, this is just like the number 23. You can like make anything relate to a number. If you want to find a pattern, yeah. you will find a pattern. Um, yeah. So I just, I, yeah, I don't know. The numbers thing was weird. It, it's like the, the, the number of dead varied so much. Um, and then also, like, the latitude and longitude thing is weird because it's, like, a really precise location. And some of the tragedies, I'm like... Well, like you said with 9-11, it's yeah. like, was 9-11 on there three times? Or like a flood. I think in the montage of things, we saw a flood. And I'm like, the flood is going to cover a pretty big area. Yeah. What's the latitude and longitude for that? Right. I don't know. Also, was Lucinda just supposed to be, like, a... Was she supposed to be a prophet? Or a psychic? Or just, like, did the aliens tell her the numbers? I think the aliens are telling her the numbers because it's getting whispered to her. And she we definitely oh, see yeah, that she yeah. hears the whispering. And then the other little kids hear the whispering. And we see Nick Cage's son also doing the writing the numbers thing down, which was weird. Because it's like, those all already happened. Yeah. The, oh, why was he writing numbers? Why was he writing numbers? I did not... When I first saw this movie, I remember this part. Because when I first saw this movie... Uh, yeah, we skipped a lot of stuff, but it's, it's not, not important. It's not important. Basically, they figure out that the like last number is because it ends, and that last number is the end of the world, right? E-E. And then it's gonna ee everyone, <laughs> everyone else. That's what ee stands for. I laughed for. so hard at that. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Ee, um, why wouldn't they just put like the total number of people on Earth? You know what I mean? Yeah, that would be less silly. That would be less silly. Um, so they could have that moment where we flipped up the bed and it said everyone else a hundred times. Um, but then they figure out that it was a solar flare coming that he had maybe predicted before. I'm not clear on that. Yeah, because he studied the sun and he like knew that there was going to be like solar flares coming. Yeah. But I don't think he knew it was happening like right then. Yeah. We'll get back to that. But my question is, um, so, or not really a question, but the first time I saw this, uh, when the little boy was sitting there scrawling numbers, I was like, so there is a way to stop it because he's writing the next set nope, it was of like what's going to happen. Again. And he's just rewriting the list. And I'm like, why the fuck would the aliens do that to him? <laughs> They're like, the world's about to end. We're going to give you some homework. You have to write all these letters, these numbers again. They're bad aliens. <laughs> it sucks. It was such a weird choice. I truly was like, I like, yeah, first time I saw it, I was just like, oh, okay. So now things are, no. Same Nothing list. has changed. And then why didn't he let him finish writing the list? Right, because then later he was like, we need to go and find the number find that the she on the door. number. And that was also dumb. Um, because, like, oh, gosh. Yeah, that part was so silly. Because uh, the flashback at the beginning, or, like, the prologue, I guess, ends with Lucinda, the little girl, in this closet... Uh, crying and like scra- scratching the numbers onto the door, like some numbers onto the door because she hadn't been able to finish the list before the teacher took it. And he, the teacher had like mentioned it to Why did John. she go hide in a closet? I don't know. Because she's afraid she was, of Because she like so tormented by the whisper guys? I guess. Why was she standing off and like looking like the creepiest kid alive with a yellow balloon? Like. To be creepy. She's just She's a creepy, creepy. kid. <laughs> That's why the aliens picked her. They were like, what's the creepiest kid on Earth? Let's find that one. <laughs> or did the aliens make her creepy because she was, like, so tormented by the constant whispering? And It's a real chicken and the egg situation, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, 
I feel like more people should have been more concerned for Lucinda at the time that she was doing this when she was a little kid. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the teacher just kind of, like, takes the numbers and she's like, all right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I, I agree, but also it was 1959. Yeah, the height of, like, throwing people in asylums <laughs> yes. for no reason. Yeah, so I believe that they would be like, ah, kids. <laughs> just not try to help her in any way. Yeah. I, I believe that that is sort of how they would handle that. Um, yeah, and I guess she never wrote the numbers again after that. That we know of. That we she know was of, but she was like a little, yeah, she was, she was not well. We know that she like told her daughter about some of the numbers and we saw that she had all the newspaper clippings mm. and. Yeah, so she was not well, but she she wasn't like scrawling the numbers every day. She was scrawling everywhere, everyone else on the bottom of her bed, though. <laughs> that <was> so silly. <laughs> it was so dumb. Why would she write that under there? Why wouldn't she just write it on a wall? I don't know. <laughs> has to find a quiet little dark hole to <laughs> scroll in. Yeah, she has to go in her closet to write it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. And when he takes... The, he goes and finds the door. What a convenient door. prompt for that teacher to have in 1959 of, like, time for you to draw a picture of what you think the future is going to look like. And meanwhile, <laughs> you've got, like, this little weird psychic kid in your class, like, doing all these dates. And Numbers! <laughs> like, do you think that was in the response to the prompt? And she was like, oh, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I hope that she wasn't going to write the numbers until the teacher was like, what's the future going to look like? And, and then she's, she's like, like, oh, I've got Tragedies! <laughs> <laughs> Have I got some news for you? Um, I feel like the angels could have been, like, less into doom. Oh, my God. The angels are so weird. Because, like, who does it really serve to, like, make little kids be able to see all of these tragedies that are that happening? That was fucked up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so part of the story is... It's like, a lot of good stuff happened between 1959 and 2009 also. Yes. No, I, it doesn't... Like, the only important one is the one that ends the world, really. Right. It doesn't make sense because they can't change it. So why give them the numbers? Yeah. It's what it's made clear is that they, he can't change the numbers because there's like two tragedies. After he figures out what this list of numbers is, he finds two tragedies that are going to happen in the next two days. And he tries to stop one of them, the, the New York City one. Yeah, and he has no idea what the tragedy is going to be. And he, he knows the location, but he doesn't know. And he knows how many people are supposed to die, but he doesn't know what it's going to be. So he thinks it's a terrorist attack. Um, and it ends up being a subway car train derailing and taking out a lot of people. Oh, man. Very graphically. Um, but he tries to stop it and, like, obviously can't. Can't. Um, and so, yeah, one, I don't know why the, the give the kids these numbers. He figures out the plane thing right before it's going to happen, too. Yes. Um, yeah, because like he the, saw... He, that's when he figures out that it's coordinates. And yeah. he's like, oh, crap, I'm right where it's going to be. It's here. Um, yeah, it's not clear why these angels slash aliens are giving children, have given two children these numbers. It's also not clear why they're, like, the scene where they, like, make the little boys see the forest, the forest on fire and all the, like, animals burning. I was like, why? Why are you doing this? Doing to this that? That's so bad. Like, you can't do anything about it. Yeah. It's so weird. It's also not how it Let's would happen. Let's traumatize these children before we ultimately remove them from the planet. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a real glimpse of the future because that's not how it happens. Like, 
You know what I mean? I guess that's probably what it looked like in the forest and not in the city when the earth exploded. But it seemed like it was so hot that everything just blew up. It wasn't like things were catching on fire and running away. Right. So... Well, from what I know from knowing is everything that can catch on fire and run away (laughs) will catch on fire and run away, because that's what happened in the plane, too. And, yeah, everything catches on fire in this film. There's a lot of fire. It's a lot of special effects. A lot of things blown up. Yeah. That the plane crash scene was pretty crazy. Yeah. It was like a single... It was a long shot, like a single shot, and it was like shaky cam. Following um, him around, staggering around all of, like, these people on It fire. felt like the, the first episode of Lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Except I think there were fewer people walking around completely on fire and Lost. That's true. That's true. <laughs> they were just, everyone was on fire. I was like, was that plane carrying ethanol? Like, what? Yeah. Is everyone in this plane somehow doused in gasoline now? What were they doing? Um, yeah, so he wasn't able to stop that, obviously. Um, finds the daughter of Lucinda... Um, Rose Byrne and convinces her to help him. Um, I mean, sort of. Do you want to see a movie that has like the most horror movie reaction lady in it? <laughs> because that's that's Rose Byrne in this movie. She is constantly panicking. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's probably one of the more realistic depictions of how someone would act in this situation. Yeah, maybe. But she knew it was coming, too, because her mom was crazy and she believed it. That's true. Yeah, she just screams and runs away from everything. And yeah, she, she, um, I guess she does, all she really does is show him her mom's house. Cabin. Yeah. And that's really the and only And then they were going to escape together. Yeah. And they were like, the end is going to. When they realize. He figures out it's a solar flare. And then they're like, we'll go underground and maybe that'll do something. Yeah. It won't. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I also, another one of my questions, not clear to me, he looks at a picture that the mom had had, which was like a, a, a religious drawing of like uh, God in front of yeah. uh, Ezekiel. And it's, um, I think it's probably supposed to be like a halo, but the, the child... Abby was like, it's the sun. And she drew, like, a sun around it. And he was like, a solar flare. And he, like, runs to this, like, MIT's big microscope. And it, that lab runs into his friend. And it's just, like, brings up this, like... Do you remember this paper I wrote? Remember this paper I wrote? Here is a a, a, a computer-generated, like, um, video of the sun flaring and destroying earth and he's like that's what's happening and he never looks at any readouts or looks in a telescope or does anything that's like proof it's just like he has jumped to this conclusion and he's like but he's, be, he's right with jumping to conclusions that's true because he also jumps to the conclusion with this terror attack yeah it's actually the train derailment yeah and um I don't he know, jumps I to the like conclusions about the numbers. The numbers is just like all of a sudden he's like, I know what these numbers are. His whole thing, I think why he figures, why he decides it's that is because he has decided that the numbers were meant to come to him. Right. And that he, this is the thing that he like wrote a paper about. So that must mean that's what's happening. Well, and he believes that like his, it's. I think he needs it because his worldview has turned into, like, a very pessimistic, nihilistic kind of thing. Like, everything is chaos and everything, like, nothing happens for a reason, but he needs he oh, needs yeah. to believe in the order. Yeah. And this is, like, his sign that there is order to the universe is, yeah. like, this paper with all of these numbers and these predictions. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, it seems to sort of like the numbers are meant for him because, like, the last numbers, which he finally gets the latitude and longitude by finding the closet that Lucinda had locked Scraping herself that in, paint off because- taking the door off the hinges, driving it back to the house. Heat this lamp is all scraper. He he like sandblasts it off and like meanwhile he had just told Rose Byrne to pack up because they're gonna go for the caves and try to like survive underground and she's freaking out because she's like what are you doing we don't have time for this fair enough um and he like they run away while he is sandblasting the coordinates off the door and like the coordinates are her mom's cabin and it's like so that was meant for him specifically because that's where he drops the kids off you know for the carpool to space and <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand that part at all. <laughs> so he knew it was going to be on the door because he saw his kid keep writing after the paper was taken away. Yes. But, but he didn't know which closet she was in. Yeah. He, he didn't know that was the same door. No. You couldn't see no, the No, that page. was crazy. Yeah. That's the thing that like, I was I like. I think the teacher at the beginning said that she went missing and they found yeah. her in a closet, but they didn't tell him which closet. There's got to be more than one closet. Yeah. And he doesn't even, yeah, he doesn't know that that's the right one. And he just took a door off and took it home. I was like, this is bananas. Um, yeah, so he he figures it out. And they go and these, like, creepy dudes who've been hanging around the whole time. Very creepy. Can we talk about the creepy dudes? Yes, yeah, so I call them the Whisper Boys. The Whisper Boys. They, they, <laughs> I think they call them the Whisper Men, but yeah. it's it's more playful. They look like they're in sort of a, like, band, so that's why I, like, call them the Whisper they Boys. They do. They look a little bit like Spike from Buffy. Yeah. They also have the same outfits as the angels mm-hmm. in um, the uh, Nicolas Cage Angel movie. Yes, they do. Um, so maybe it's just, like, angels wear black leather trench coats. Absolutely. Maybe it's a little nod to City um, of Angels. City of Angels. There yeah. we go. Um, um, I also, they village of the damned because they all have the like bleached blonde hair and gray skin. Yeah. They, you don't see them clearly until the end. And then you're like, oh, that doesn't look like human skin. It looks sort of plasticky. Um, but I thought <laughs> I truly, until you saw their faces, I was like, are these guys played by Doug Jones? <laughs> they all look all like they them. should be played by Doug Jones. Yeah. Not in ma- makeup. They're just also says Doug Jones. up close when you see Nicolas Cage standing next to the one. You're like, oh, these guys are like 10 feet tall. They're very, very tall. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. So they have these like leather, long black leather jackets on, black pants. They just keep giving these kids these black rocks. They're they, very creepy. They don't move their mouths. They communicate telepathically. First part of the film, you think they are just going to abduct, you know, yeah. they're just, like, out to kidnap children. It's truly what it seems like. They're driving cars, which is also very funny. Yeah, why do they need to why drive Why do they cars? drive cars? Why do they drive places? Yeah, I don't know why they drive places. I don't understand. <laughs> they also, so it ends up being that these guys... They're a little bit like uh, Men in Black, if you know anything about alien yeah. stuff. Maybe that's what they're going for. Could be. Yeah. Sort of men in the black, men in black sort of thing. Yeah, they're not in suits, but they they behave the same way. Yeah, and yeah. Dan Aykroyd saw some men in black in a uh, car before he was supposed to have his ghost show go on TV, mm-hmm. and then uh, he got a call from the executives that said they were canceling it. Yep. After he saw the men in black. Yep. Damning evidence because they want to keep the truth from getting out. It's Absolutely, kind of they can't let Dan Aykroyd speak. No. Because then everyone will know the truth. Yep. <laughs> Even though he's been talking about aliens and ghosts as much as he can for the and last, like, 50 years. telling that story specifically about how the aliens have been. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, they end up being these a- aliens that sort of look like angels when yeah. they're revealed. I like the idea that, uh, like, alien, like, I feel like aliens and angels can be two different interpretations of the same things happening. Yes. And I like that as a yeah. concept of, like, maybe angels are just aliens or yeah. other vice versa. Yeah, Which absolutely. I think is kind of how they frame it in this. Mm-hmm. Where, They're like, just, like, beings of light. They are beings of light, and they go to space. Yeah. And, like, and I think that the ship sort of looks like a biblical angel kind of thing. Yeah, for you sure. You know, with the, like, thousands it, eyes yep, and, like, yep. yeah. Um... So that's fun. I do like that. Uh, I just don't understand the way the angels operate in this film because they're or the aliens. Um, well, you know, God acts in mysterious ways. The aliens act in mysterious ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just sort of creepy. They follow them around. They give them horrible visions of the future. And then it ends up that they're, like, saving the children to repopulate on another planet. Yeah. Along with... Maybe more maybe children, more but animals? we only see the two. And so we, see the, we see the two rabbits. We see two rabbits. It makes me wonder if they took more animals or just the rabbits. It's going to yeah. be like an us situation. They just eat rabbits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels like uh, Noah's Ark, too. A yes. Little bit. It's definitely like the ending is very Adam and Eve, too. Yeah. Um, the So I do think there is sort of an implication that maybe they took all the children just because... Now that I'm rewatching it and knew the ending, in those ending scenes, I was looking for kids and I didn't see any children. Yeah. The only child, the last children you see in the movie other than Caleb and Abby is that baby that's in the subway. Um, and so in the ending scenes, there are just no kids around. Yeah. So, so I, I thought this. I wonder this, if that's intentional, though. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I saw I other like people. All of the people that get taken would have to have encountered the Whisper guys. Yeah, and we just don't see any other kids, so it's hard to know. Yeah, I don't know. I just saw online that other people were like, "Oh, the kids were taken, and that's why there are none in the last scenes." Um, so yeah. I don't know if that's what they were man- meaning to do. They weren't clear about it, but that if that's true, then it's like, then why all the why all the mystery if you're just going to take all the kids? You know? Yeah. So, I don't know. And then the black pebble thing, I, I, we, uh, I don't know. They give like these black rocks to. So I, I read a theory on Reddit. Okay. Um, and I'm going to pull it up. The theory on Reddit is that the tickets are supposed to be a, uh, the stones are supposed to be a ticket and that those who are chosen are given and a stone and those who are not chosen only find them lying around. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, but then that does open up the question about Lucinda and why Lucinda had so many of them. Cause like maybe she was chosen, but she just didn't make it. Yeah. Um, I, so what I thought when we got to the end of the movie and he gets to that area where the kids are going to take their spe- spaceship. Um, there's so many it's just black rocks everywhere. So yeah. I thought it was just like a sign of where it's going to happen. Oh, here's another interesting possible theory. Okay. Um, so they're black rocks. They could be obsidian. Mm-hmm. And apparently people think that, like crystal people, think that obsidian aids psychic abilities. There you go. The crystal people have spoken. Yeah. It must be that. <laughs> could be that. <laughs> I don't have any better ideas. <laughs> that could be it. Um, so, I have no idea, though. I kind of... I like those theories, but nobody knows. 
Yeah, it was pretty um, sketchy on the details. Um, but yeah, just in case you thought that maybe they're going to figure out a way to stop the solar flare, they don't. Um, <laughs> the children go up in spaceships with the aliens to some other planet. There's a really sad goodbye between yeah. um, John and Caleb, where, you know, he's like, it's I'll kind of also with kinda, you. I'll be, yeah. he's like, I'm, you can't leave me. And he's like, I'm not leaving you, but you also I have can't, you have to go. And he's like, but then, you know, we won't be together. And he's like, we'll always be together, which is like, you know, him coming around on like the heaven, heaven thing, stuff. Right? And then you get that again when he goes, oh, well, we have to, this is like, we should keep talking about this, but we'll have to talk about his uh, dad's house. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this is where we get the, the sort of callback to the um, sign language where his son gets on. The ship and is leaving, and they sign um, together forever, always, which is what they do every night, which is very nice. Um, yeah. And then they're off in the spaceship, and he just drives to Through Boston. Straight chaos. Chaos. It's riots. People are looting. Things are on fire. You know, violence. Um, as we said, I don't think that this is what would happen. And no. I'm no like I, I'm not a person who is like super optimistic about like. Society, generally. society. I just don't think this would be how it went down. I think people would be so distraught that they would probably just be home with their loved ones. Yeah, I don't think that they would be like rioting and mobbing in the streets. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I don't know that. Some people might be, but like the sort of implications that everyone was out there. There's right. so many people. He and- even sees. You remember he sees his uh, like <laughs> skeezy coworker and his wife just like standing in the street, standing just like, holding, holding each hands. other. Like just like standing by the subway in the chaos street, chaos around them, and they're just like, like why would you eye choose contact? that if you knew that the world was ending? Yeah, I was like, if you, because this guy's a scientist, he knows there's no hope. They're not getting through yeah. this. So like, why would he go out on the street in the riots to do that? Like, stay at home, or I don't know, drive out to the country and like, yeah, wouldn't most people just be like kind of depressed if yeah. they believed the world was ending and not all of a sudden manic? Yeah. You know? I don't know. After we, you know, lived through COVID, I was like, I don't know. I think people would just be, like, home and... Like, people were shitty, but we didn't quite have what was pictured. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, I don't know that we'd get there. But he goes to, um... He goes to his father's mansion? What a weird house. Holy shit. Uh, I thought thought he was going into a church at first. Yes, and it looks like a church. But... Earlier when they'd been on the phone, I was like, this is a really nice house, you know, like it's a really beautiful house inside. And then it was like, it's in either New York City or Boston. It's not super clear. Um, it seems to be in the middle of the city and it is massive and it's Huge. gorgeous. It's like a Georgian monstrosity. Yeah. And it truly did look like Both a church. Both Boston and New York, not places known for their affordability. No. So I don't know if his dad is like a mega church pastor. Or... Right. <laughs> that would. That feels like the implication, in which case. Yeah. In which case, I could see not talking to your dad if that's the kind of pastor he was, <laughs> you know. Um, so he goes in there and he, he, you know, hadn't, he and his father hadn't really talked. Right. I think since, as you said, like his mom died and then he called him on the phone. And was like, told him to try to get underground. And he was like, ah, no, I'm just going to stay in my home with, with my wife and we're going to, if it's my time, it's my time. So he goes and his sister's there and all the four of them hug each other and the world ends. Yep. It, we, we do get that moment of uh, 
just like cementing that he like maybe has found his faith again because mm. his dad says you know this isn't the end right and he says i know yeah um yes yeah so that's a the, surprise it's a religious movie i guess surprise <laughs> and uh yeah the graphic detail of the the yeah. whole earth getting fire rolling over new york city early on when we were talking about um movies that we might do to combine with this one. And yeah. you're like, there's this other one that's like a religious one. And then as we were watching the movie longer, I'm like, are we sure this isn't the religious <laughs> one? Because this feels pretty religious. It's not the one I the thought whole of. time. But it is a religious, it is a secret religious movie. I don't know if it's a secret. Not very secret. If you watch it, it's not a secret. It's, yeah, it's a little more subtle than a lot of the like Christian sort of like. No, it's not like, uh, like. The kid who like schools his atheist teacher, yes, <laughs> or anything like that. Um, yeah, um, or like the miracle of the kid's still alive and somehow falling out of that tree was actually what saved their life. And, yes, you know nothing like that. No, it's not that bad, but it's definitely yeah, pretty. I don't know. It's not horribly. I, I, that's a terrible way to say it, horribly Christian. <laughs> it's not like overtly. Uh, religious, but it is a lot of and there's a lot of undertone, links to a lot of stories. Links. Yeah, and it's the sort of like neoliberal Christianity where it's like maybe science is really like God. telling us stuff yeah. about religion or like it's people of interpretive scientific stuff and that's what it is. Um, while also well, believing Lucinda that there is, is very Christian too because we see like the Bible in her house and she's obsessed with the picture of Ezekiel receiving the prophecies. Yes, and yeah. Um, so yeah, it feels like a liberal Christian movie. Yeah, I think is sort of the vibe instead of a like super evangelical. Take. So yeah, yeah. So that's basically that's the end. That's of the kind movie. of it. That's it. I mean, obviously, well, it ends with all the pods that have presumably children in them landing on this beautiful planet, uh, and Abby and Caleb get out with their rabbits, and uh, yeah, they're Adam and Eve, and they're going to repopulate a new planet. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's the end. Um, what score do you think this has on Rotten Tomatoes? Hmm. Oh, this is tough because I have a piece of information that I found that blew my mind. It makes me think that maybe critics liked this movie? No. No? Okay. Um, 50%? No. No? Lower. 40%? A little bit lower. 30%. 34%, yeah. Okay. And then the audience score is actually slightly higher at 42%. Oh. Still rotten, but... Yeah. Uh, what's your piece of information? Roger Ebert, the late great Roger Ebert, gave this movie four stars. Really? And said, the first sentence of his review, review was, Knowing is among the best science fiction films I've seen. Frightening, suspenseful, intelligent, and when it needs to be, rather awesome. I will... S- so, I don't agree with Roger. Yeah, I was like, Roger... However, more than a lot of other science fiction movies, it did give me kind of a feeling of dread. Yeah. Um, that a lot of science fiction movies kind of don't do for me. Yeah. And um, I think that, like, this movie actually, like, because it follows through on the, like... Yeah. The world ending. Um, there is a lot of... It's a little... It's more nihilistic. It's just, like, more dark. Yeah. Um... 
Yeah. And they try to give it the hopeful spin of, like, they're restarting and, like, there is heaven and, you know, whatever. Like, well, but eight billion people just died. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can I tell you something that I've wanted to say for a while since I pulled up Rotten Tomatoes halfway through this podcast? Yeah. The recommended for you m- might also like for this are really funny. Okay. So we have the fourth kind. Makes sense. Yeah. We have Push, which looks like it's probably some kind of Oh, it's sci-fi. like a superhero t- kind of thing, I think. We have The Day the Earth Stood Still. Sure. And Perfect. we have Untraceable. And then for some reason, also Will Ferrell's Semi-Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, I don't know why, but uh, that really tickled me. That's incredible. You might also like semi pro. <laughs> Are there also aliens in that one? No. <laughs> there is Will Ferrell in really short basketball shorts. There are numbers in that movie. <laughs> there are numbers. Basketball jersey numbers. And scores. I can't believe the number twenty three isn't recommended. No, it should be. It should absolutely and be. And it's like roughly the same time period too. Yeah. Um, yeah, they both feel very two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what time is it? It's time for Inside the Cage. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to that do was like, nice. <laughs> like maybe a religious. Yeah, I like thing. that. Yeah. I was thinking if I was gonna do it, maybe going for like an alien voice, but the aliens in this movie didn't have any no, voices. No, I would have been like. <laughs> That was really a last opportunity. We should have done, done that. That would have been better. Um, or we could do the Beethoven that they play a couple of times in that movie. I can't it's remember. Like, inside the cage, cage, inside the cage. Just edit that. Inside the cage. <laughs> I can't. We've got three for the price of one in this one. Alright. <laughs> Cut two of those out and save them for later. We should be voice actors. Yeah, absolutely. Or That's it. what I want. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so, this week we're going to talk about Nicolas Cage's 60 Minutes interview. Which we haven't seen the whole thing of, but we I saw the important parts. It, but um, I have watched parts of it. And uh, it's a, a real fun trip into his Las Vegas goth mansion. Yeah, that's the thing I really wanted to talk the most about is his house and how it's exactly what I kind of expected it to be. Yeah, I was taken a little bit aback by how not professionally styled it looked in the interview. Like, it kind of just looked like, you know, people living there and usually when you get, like, these, like, cribs style, like, let me show you a tour of my house, it seems like they, like, almost everybody that's, like, in Hollywood has, like, probably either had somebody come in to, like, style their house right before that interview. Yeah. Or at some point in the past, because everything Mm -hmm. looks very, like, manicured. It's, like, professionally designed. Yeah. Yeah. And this did not look professionally designed. No. It looks, like, very normal. Yeah. (laughs) Except for, like, normal if you're also, like, an eccentric, like, who is into, like, all of this Yeah, because he's got, like, wild stuff in his house, but it's sort of stuck in rooms together. Yeah. It's not like there's a special room where he keeps his monitor lizard. It's just, like, in the wall of another room. And then there's, like, a dome... For his his raven, Hoogan. It looks like me making a Sims house. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just like that's a cool thing. I'm gonna put I'll this. I'll put that in there. I'm put a chandelier in that room. Yeah. 
We'll put a nice fireplace in that room. Like, you're just putting weird stuff in together. Um, but yeah, I mean... And then, like, even the art on the walls, like, didn't go together. No. You know? It's just stuff he likes. Yeah. Which is, yeah, kind of nice. Yeah. It's I very, like it's very relatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very relatable. That's, I always say that about Nick Cage. Very relatable. Relatable. <laughs> I also have a 10-foot monitor lizard. We all have been there. Um, I gotta say, I, you know, as someone who loves animals and, uh, is an environmentalist, I gotta say, Kit, Nick... Stop owning exotic pets, please. Awesome. I, he's going to be the next Tiger King. He kind of is. Already. He, he's kind of on the way. He's got a monitor lizard. There's like a sea turtle in an aquarium. Yeah, there's no way that sea turtle's happy. No! Don't keep a sea turtle. He had an octopus for a while, too. He like did a, have an octopus. Not anymore, I don't think. No. They don't live very long, anyways. No. And then, of course, he has his crow. Hoogan. Um, I feel like a crow is a good pet, if you want to have a weird pet. I like that the crow heckles him. Yeah. <laughs> I, that is good. The, yeah. the, he was talking about how the, the, you know, like, the crow will talk to him, but, like, when he leaves, the, the like, he tells a story about, uh, you know, he leaves the room, and Hugin says bye, and then after he leaves, he can hear him go, ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Which I is, think that's I love that. That's what you want from a crow. They need to be a little chaotic. They need to be snarky. Yeah. Um... Yeah, he's it's um it's a bananas looking place. It's very fitting. It's for our dude. He also says um when he's talking about the crow, he says uh, I like their appearance, the Edgar Allan Poe aspect. I like the goth element. I am a goth. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Whenever he has an opportunity to tell people, he's like, I am a goth. <laughs> Every time. Just to be clear. Just to be clear, I am a goth. Yeah. Um, he shows a picture of his mom uh, that's on his on his um, fireplace, his mom Joy, and he talks about uh, she's a choreographer and she suffered from some mental illnesses and had a very rough life, but um, I think he looks a lot like her. I think he looks... So, uh, I sort of suspected, based on like what his brother looks like, that probably one of them looked more like the father and one of them looked more like the mother because they don't look anything alike. No, he and his um, brother don't look alike. So. I think he's definitely got his mom's nose. I think he takes more after his mom, probably. Yeah, um, but yeah. It, uh, wild ride. You can go watch go the whole thing. Go check that out. <sighs> Started singing at me. Um, and they talk about his debt and how like he's like, I never went bankrupt. I never filed bankruptcy. Which is... I thought he was bankrupt. Me too. I think we all thought. And yeah. he was like, no, no, no. Just had a lot of debt. Never he had a lot of debt because he had a lot of real estate investments that crashed. Yeah. And so he was $6 million in debt. And um, that's, you know, he said uh, work was his guardian angel um, and it got him through dark times, which I believe is true. Yeah. He like, didn't have though- he didn't have time to be sad. He was doing eight movies a year. Right. Seven, like, even eight. though, you know, everyone ragged on him for doing a lot of bad movies during Hollywood's this time. the only place that people get faulted for doing too much, though, yes. in terms of work. That's true. Yeah. Um, any other any other place, like, if you're a workaholic like that, then it's like, man, they're really putting in the hours. Very dedicated. Very dedicated. In Hollywood, it's like, man, they must need money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, even though he was doing not so great movies, um acting and being busy probably you know I think he likes it I think he liked it I don't think he could not be busy yeah I think he's one of those people that has to work yeah I think so too yep so anyway watch that 60 minutes uh, interview if you want to see his wild house 
Yeah. Um, and again, Nick, if you're listening, stop with the exotic pets. You know, Merlin you and Hoogan are enough. Yeah, podcast? obviously he listens to her. <laughs> <laughs> I every week assume that he is listening. He has to know what specifically our opinions are. Yeah. On yeah. His movies. Uh huh. Um. All right. So well, what are we doing next time? Next time we are uh, following the theme of uh, future telling, apocalyptic, whatever. So I think we're doing um, next. Next. We're doing time. next next. Yeah, let's do next next. All right, guys, we're gonna do next next, um, which is uh, more future telling. Yeah, this is one I've never seen, and I've I only seen one clip from it that's bananas, <laughs> uh, and that's all I know. So, and and I read the one line description of it, the tagline, and I cackled. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's gonna be great. All right, well, we'll see you next time on the unbearable fate. <laughs> You looked at me like it was something that we were going to say together, and I was like, we've never done this before. <laughs> I forgot the name of the podcast. <laughs> Instead, I'll say, stay cagey, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.